Thanks for listening to the Church at Severn Run Messages podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Severn Run. I'm glad you all are here today. Uh, we are beginning a three-week series that um, we were kind of planning on in September, just decided, nah, it fits better here. Um, and I'm just going to ask from the beginning, just sort of for uh, like an umbrella of grace, umbrella of mercy. Um, and because we're going to talk about racism in America. And I would just say it's just about impossible uh, to touch on a subject like this without offending somebody. So I hope to be an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> and, uh, and just want to make a couple of things clear. I'm, you know, first of all, I... In my own life, and this is just what I choose, I'm not saying anybody else has to do this, but, but I, I, you know, working my life to, you know, to not reference um, people's identity based upon the pigment of their skin. Um, because I just think that that, like when you're giving a descriptor of somebody, you know, why, why do you say, oh, well, that black person or, or that white person? You know, I, I don't, but for this series, just for the sake of, of, of our conversation, um, we are going to reference the, the, the pigment of skin. Um, and... And just simply to say that, that um, I'm, I'm going to challenge you just to, to look to the scriptures, you know, the holy scriptures, and, and to dig deep and to think from, from the heart and mind of God. And if anything doesn't reflect from here, then that's me, and attribute that to my, my head and not my heart, okay? So will you all agree to give a, kind of an umbrella of mercy here? Some of you, so. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, uh, we thank you for making us alive at such a time as this. Uh, Father, you have given us your best and highest in Jesus, and you have given us all of Jesus. So, Father, show us in these days how to understand our times and to live him well. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. What I want you to do today so that I don't bury the lead is this. I want you to learn to love thinking from the mind of Christ. And I want you to learn to love thinking from the mind of Christ. So that your way of loving is not just you know, a soft sentimentality, it is literally divinely inspired by, by Jesus and by his thoughts and by, by God himself. How many of y'all have heard me ever say, everything's broken and everything needs to be redeemed? Okay, I want to see those hands clearly. All right, most of you. So, for those of you who haven't, let me just say this. Everything's broken and everything needs to be redeemed. And what I mean by that language is, is this, broken equals that which is fatally flawed, fatally touched by sin. It's not going to live, it's not going to survive, it's not going to end well. It's something that is not from the purpose of God. And what is redeemed, it's a, it's a great word, and, and the word redeemed means resurrected by grace. It has to do with being remade in the purpose of God. It is uh, really well illustrated in the resuscitation of Lazarus. He was dead in the grave. Uh, his sister said, Lord, 
he's in a bad way, you know, it's not going to smell good. Jesus speaks the word, redeems the situation, and what was dead and ugly and rotten comes to life and is full of, of the breath of God again. And that's what it means to redeem. It's the touch of God. Now, I'm going to ask you to think during this series, okay? And I'm going to ask you to question and I'm going to ask you to, to, uh, to pull some threads on some things that, that may kind of have high impact. Now, one of the things I think is going to be an issue when we get to heaven is I think we're going to, all of us, whether those, um, those of us who are believers or not believers, I think we're going to be guilty of underestimating things when we stand before God Almighty. So I want, I want you to picture the day when time is called and we are standing in the presence of the infinite glory of a God who's bigger than a universe that doesn't appear to stop in any direction. Now for the for the person who has not accepted Jesus, what they will have underestimated is the lethality of sin, the wrongness of sin and injustice. They will have underestimated the glory of Jesus and the rightness of Jesus. The scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so in that moment, I really don't think this is so much a forced thing as it is just everyone acknowledging the overwhelming reality like like being pulled under Niagara Falls and the power and the weight of all the glory of God just compels the human heart to acknowledge what is true. You are God. And all my life, I underestimated that. Now, on the other side of things, for those who are believers, um, I, I think that, that we will have underestimated the glory and the power and the grace and the mercy and the love of God equally so that, so that I think we're all as human beings guilty of, of holding things in kind of a flat way and not looking beneath the surface. And today what I want you to do is to start to look beneath the surface or continue your look beneath the surface. Because the truth is, you hear me use the, the analogy of like the layers of an onion. When we look at something, we tend to think, oh, I know what this thing is. Well, maybe you know what the outside of that thing is. But maybe there's a layer beneath that. And then maybe there's a layer beneath that. And then maybe there's a layer beneath that. And, and the reality is that, that sin and redemption are infinitely deep in opposite directions. And, and that there's this infinite depth and wonder to the glory and grace of God. It is deeper than what you know and you discover it and then, then there's more and then you discover it and then there's more and there, you discover it and there's more. And the same way with brokenness, you look at it on one level and you think you understand it but there's more and then you look at it again and there's more and, and, and you begin to understand successively the layers beneath and, and the truth beneath. And so life is a little bit more complicated. Now the truth is, we all hate to hold things in tension. We love to resolve tension. We hate tension. And so, so you know, we resolve it in a variety of ways. So somebody offends us, maybe by, let's just say, speaking the truth. And, and, and they've introduced tension into our lives. And I, I've actually, you know, had people say, well, fine, I want nothing to do with you. Okay, well, you just resolve the tension, in a bad way, right? I mean, there was tension there and there was the creative possibility of, of, of some understanding, but you blew that up. Same way with a marriage. You know, uh, in, in marriages, I, I've known people that have pulled, pushed the plunger and just blown up things for the mushroom cloud because of the tension in the marriage when actually that was a creative possibility for, for you know, 
for walking through the tension rather than resolving it prematurely. Sometimes you've got to see things through the end. And so I want to challenge you not to um, be intellectually lazy or emotionally lazy because you don't want to experience the pain. We're all pain avoidant. Um, I want to challenge you to hold some things in tension and, and don't resolve them quickly. Let them stand by, side by side. Let two things that even appear contradictory, let them, let them stand side by side for a little bit and, 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 and seek to think deeply from the mind of Christ about these things. So that's what I'm asking you to do, and I believe that if we'll do this, um, I think God will re- reveal himself to us in some pretty significant ways. So let's talk about some realities of a conversation about, on racism, on, about race. They're awkward, right? I mean, they just are. And, and I, again, I just want to be clear from the start that I, I am not uh, speaking for all white people, nor am I speaking for all black people. Um, I'm not even speaking for all bald people. Uh, I'm speaking my best from, from my heart. And, and, and so it is awkward, and it's going to be awkward. But you know what? Sometimes just let things be awkward, all right? Let it be awkward and, and, and let God work through the, the tension of things. Did you ever notice how Jesus, like, you know, the Prince of Peace, he introduced tension into a lot of things? He really, really did. The rich young ruler, go sell everything you have. Well, that was awkward. <laughs> Imagine going to daddy and explaining that, you know. So this is going to be awkward, and it, and it just is. Not just today, but, but in the future as our nation um, really stands at an opportunity to, I, I believe, we, we, quick, quick pause, I really think we are kind of at another key point in our history to where we have an opportunity to move significantly forward or slide significantly back. I really do. And I think there's a demonic force as well um, about, uh, you know, talk to several pastors that there really is a spiritual force that, that is really trying to honestly, you know, to do everything to suppress faith in America and, and real Christianity in America. And, and, and I think we're at an opportunity there, too. We don't have to become what Europe is, uh, where we have 2 to 4% of the people worshiping on, on average. So this is a real pivotal time, and it's, it's a hard time, but it's also a time of, of again, incredible opportunity. So, uh, realities on the conversa- uh, of conversations on racism, we're defensive, typically. You know, somebody starts talking about race, whoa, 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 I'm not a racist. You know, I have a white friend, or I have a black friend. Um, well, okay, well, wait just a second, you know, I mean, about that, you know, we're, we're, de- we're defensive or we're offensive immediately in these conversations. Um, uh, fear and anger tend to surface quickly. Do you notice in Charlottesville how quickly uh, things escalated with people? Um, and, and, and the tragedy is that, that the, the great traditions of, of um, you know, peaceful protest um, you know, didn't get lived out everywhere. And, and, and human anger, man, it, it, it's like hitting the gas pedal. Any of y'all get angry quickly? Okay, don't raise your hands next. But anybody next to you get angry quickly and they didn't raise their hand? No, don't do that. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's easy to go from zero to 100 like that, isn't it? Okay, you know, don't do that, okay? Foot on the brake in this conversation. We default to groupthink and group characterization. 
All right? I mean, that's, that's typically what we do at the very beginning. We begin to, you know, again, this default position. I'm, I'm with a group of uh, pastors. We were having an awkward conversation on race um, a, a while back. And, uh, and one of the, the pastors, very, very, you know, neat guy, very prominent guy, um, in this real conversation, again, we gave permission people to be real, and he, he, he continues his conversation um, with conversations, you know, stating, you know, well, white people this and, and white people that. I kind of raised my hand, and I just said, I don't know that we can go there. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, how, how would you feel if I began saying, well, black people this and black people that? And he said, that's racist. And I said, well, you know, to, to, to think that we know something about somebody that we haven't cared enough to talk to based upon uh, the racial group they belong to, that's, that's racism. We tend to be close to new ideas and re-exist re examining our own assumptions. Let me, racism is many, many different things and I'm not gonna try to give an exhaustive thing, but let me just share with you some of my, my thoughts on this. And, and uh, there is a number of good resources that I wanna throw out there. And I want, do wanna say that I love history and especially love academic history um, because like we take things anecdotally, we'll hear something and then we'll pass it along as true when in fact it may have no place in history. This happens a lot in theology. You know, people make stuff up all the time and sometimes you guys come to me and say, well, you know, well, oh, like back in the day, they did this and this and this. And I'm going, you know, there's no record of that anywhere. And it sounds good, but it doesn't have any historical basis. One great resource is a book by Ibram X. Kendi. It's a, a National Book Award winner, uh, and it's an intellectual history of racism called Stamp from the Beginning. It's a great resource. And again, we'll, we'll share some others. Racism is, among many things, the assumption that dark skin is bad and light skin is good. All right? Um, it's the idea that there is something wrong with black people. And uh, Kendi says the only thing wrong with black people is the idea that there's something wrong with black people. He also said the only thing extraordinary about white people is that white people think they're extraordinary. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of what Henry Ford says, whether you think you can or can't, you're right, you know? But... Any suggestion that black people or any group of people are inferior in any way to another uh, group, racial group, is, is racist. It's the conscious and unconscious uh, ideas and social systems and structures that legitimize inequality based on race. And what I want to share with you is that, that like the layers of the onion, it's, it's deeper than we realize, many of us, not everybody. So let's look at it this way. If everything's broken, then my thinking is a part of everything. If everything's broken, our thinking is too. And until we love thinking from the mind of Christ, we are thinking broken. And again, it's not just a off and on kind of a thing. It, it's gradations, it's subtleties, it's nuances, it's, it's woven more deeply than we realize. And, and these kinds of cultural realities, we often don't even recognize. There was a, a Stanford uh, sociologist who uh, was just doing word associations. The, she was more studying um, male-female kind of gender relationships. And, and she uh, had a male voice speak the word academy. And so you're supposed to give a one-word response back. And so a male voice speaks the word academy, and the predominant response was education. 
when a female voice speaks the same word, the prominent response was, anybody guesses? Awards, Academy Awards. Same word, two different verifiable responses. Why? Because of social conditioning, because of the ways we think, because we think that a woman is going to be talking about entertainment where a man's going to be serious and talking about education. I didn't say this, ladies, okay? I'm just, I'm just sharing. But I, I want you to understand that our thinking is broken um, more deeply than we realize. And, and, and the truth is that you and I have the mind of Christ. God just didn't give us a part of himself. He gave us all of himself. And, and the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, but we have the mind of Christ. God was not stingy in the gift of his son. He gave his all. All I have, I give to you. That is the declaration of Jesus on the cross. So we not only get his eyes to see differently, we not only get his ears to hear and understand other hearts, we get his mind to think after God, to, to see the future and live differently in the present, to, to look at the past and, and understand its meaning. We have the mind of Christ by gift of God. And the truth is you have no idea the dreams that God has for you. Every one of you who is a parent, you love your kids and only a sick parent would want bad things for their child. You and I, when our child is hurting or, or, or struggling, you know, your heart is breaking. You know, it, ju it just is. And, and, and how Father's heart breaks for you and I and the broken in our lives. And what he has done to answer that is, is give us all of his love, all of his grace, all of his power, all of his embrace. He's given everything, all I have. I've given you all of me, God says. And the only proper response back to that kind of limitless love is to give all of us back to him. And that's what real, um, the real faith of Jesus looks like. The rest is something else, but that's, it's, it's all. And again, I want to tell you that when you stand before God in heaven, I think you and I are both going to say we radically underestimated. Because broken is infinitely deep and the rabbit hole of broken is so far deep that you can't control it. That's part of the deception of sin. You think you can sin sexually a little bit and it's no big deal. No, no, no. You think you can steal small things from work or, or lie a little bit on somebody. You can't do it. You, you, you're being deceived because the rabbit hole is infinitely deep and, and you're deceived from the moment you bite the apple. And in the other direction... The grace of God is limitlessly redeeming and, and, and so much more powerful than we realize. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 12 says, But we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So our spirit is not the spirit of our culture, of our world, of, of, of our history. Our spirit is from eternity to eternity. It is different. It is in time, but it is not of time. We are different. We think different. We love different. We see different. But, but if we go on autopilot that none of that's true, we're going to be swept along by the waves of our culture, just floating along in the lazy river to a destination that is, that is not the glory of God. So, so I, you know, anybody here familiar with the concept of secondhand smoke? I smoked for 13 years. I never smoked a single cigarette in my life. But my dad did. Any of y'all with me? So I'm in the car as a kid, and I don't know how the man drove, because there's like this fog in the car. You know what I'm saying? 
It's like, how did he even see out? You know how hard it is to drive in fog? Well, the fog was inside of our car. And then when it was really, really cold outside, you know, he'd roll down the window and I'd be in the back seat freezing with my coat on, you know, and still breathing these toxic fumes. I didn't smoke, but I smoked. And what I want to suggest to you, if you'll give me the grace to, is that our culture and our nation are more soaked and saturated in the secondhand smoke of racist ideas than we realize. Most of us would say that racism comes from hatred and ignorance, and that is true, but it also comes from a long intellectual history of people defending and, and, and creating this narrative of, of inferiority and superiority um, that, that justifies oppression and inequality. And it's funny how almost every culture creates its own narrative of superiority with some group, but it, it, it is in the human heart. But I'm just telling you that, that we, are, we are all breathing the secondhand smoke of racism. And, and consciously or unconsciously, we are reacting to it and wounded by it and limited in our responses to each other. Our culture and our history are saturated with racist ideas and we're reeling from it in, in the world. Kendi says there's basically three explanations for racial disparities. Segregationists blame black people uh, for the racial disparities because they are inferior. And that's, that's why you have all these differences because, you know, light skin is good, dark skin is bad, and, and segregationists would say, black people are inferior and it's crazy to see there are still groups of people advocating that idea on the stage of the United States of America we saw it in Charlottesville and this is literally what what people believe and again I'm not here to make political statements but I'm also not afraid uh, to make a statement and to say there are not good people on both sides okay there is no such thing as a good racist and there's no such thing as a, a believer in Christ who can hold on to racist ideas. That said, that kind of stuff on the surface is easy to recognize. And, and really, that's less of what I'm talking about because, you know, like, okay, easy, that, I see that. The stuff I'm talking about is the stuff that has been woven into the narrative of our thinking. It is secondhand smoke. And, and the truth is that we are either uh, thinking unconsciously in it or, or reacting to it, um, all of us, until we're thinking from the mind of Christ. Segregationists then blame black people for, their, for, for the inequalities. Anti-racists point to uh, these narratives that have been a part of a long intellectual history. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And, and systemic in inequity, that, that this is why um, you know, we have these disparities. It's because uh, that, we have, that we have advocated um, these, we haven't challenged these racist ideas and narratives and that they're woven into the fabric of, of, of our nation. Assimilationists argue that both are true. And he would say that assimilationists are, are, are caught in a web of, of racism as well. In other words, people who would say that, well, um, you know, uh, there is a system that is, is um, you know, prejudicial and and, um, and disfavoring, but, but it's also because there's a character flaw in people of darker skin. Let me just say that from the beginning, uh, again, I'm, I'm asking you to, to not just do, uh, you know, maximizing and minimizing. I'm asking you to hold some things in tension for, for a little bit, okay? And just to consider some things. 
from the 1790s, our first immigration policies were, uh, were pro-white and anti-anybody else. I mean, literally, our first 1790 uh, immigration policies were for the immigration of the white man. And, and that was what, you know, what we're doing. So today, when we, when we look at our immigration policies, we have to be very careful that there is not a subtle, um, do we need right immigration law? Of course we do. But is it possible that through fear and anger, we categorize another group of people by the pigment of their skin and they are other and we want to keep them out because we think they're less than. Well, at least consider the idea. For centuries, there has been a very, a very de definite and, and, um, and trackable narrative and set of ideas in defense of racism that has so woven its way into our nation and our thinking that again, we are still reeling from the wound. In Tunisia, the intellectual historian Ibn Khaldun in 1377, um, in a book called the Muktina, he, he said this, the Negro's nation, uh, Negro nations are as a rule submissive to slavery because Negroes have little that is human and possess attributes that are quite similar to dumb animals. Now why did he say that? Was it ignorant? Yeah. But he was also saying this to justify Muslim slavery which uh, Portugal and, and, and the European nations soon took over and profited from uh, for, for several centuries. And ironically, as much as the white uh, racists today have, have even argued you know, biblically for, uh, for segregation, it wasn't a white racist that came up with that idea. It was a Muslim scholar, Tiberi, in, in, in 923, who said, Genesis 9, 18 through 29, um, that 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 was really a reference to the Negroes. They were the children of Ham. They were the ones under the curse of Noah. So here's an idea that this man who was also, again, defending, um, you know, human trafficking, he comes up with an idea about, well, th these people are cursed. And that idea was repeated. I mean, it, it's been repeated to this day since. Our nation is not one thing or the other, it's both. And, and again, so I'm about to introduce a little bit of tension and don't resolve it by, by you know, throwing out one side or the other. <laughs> There's no nation on earth that has had a, a higher ideal of, of a start of the equality of its people than these. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable lights and, uh, rights and among these, our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So said Thomas Jefferson. To which I want to say, all right. <laughs> That's outstanding. The state of Massachusetts freed his, their slaves on the declaration of uh, the power of the declaration of that independence. And, 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 and in their constitution in 1780, they, um, they declared that slavery would not be a part of, of, of their state. However, six southern states took the meaning of all men being created equal, uh, they, they took that very, very clearly and they clarified all free men, all free white men. And so Jefferson, who on the one hand said all men are created equal, wrote this letter to Thomas Jefferson in 1792. He said, I allow nothing for losses by death, but on the contrary shall presently take credit uh, that at 4% per annum, 
the increase of my, um, my young black slaves uh, brings that profit over and above keeping their own number. In other words, the people that he held in slavery were, he had actually figured down to where a 4% profit per person, regardless of those who died or whatever else. Um, and, and Jefferson has been at times considered a beneficent slaveholder. Simple truth is, in the nailery that he founded, uh, uh, which was again producing nails, that he worked six to, to 13 year olds, kids who were too small to work in the fields effectively, he put them at work um, making nails and, and, and literally um, increased production through the use of the whip. Now he personally didn't, but he saw to it that it was done. And so we have this, this tension, this, this narrative. You know, the reality is um, that there are ideas about the inferiority of, of blackness that have still not been resolved. The idea of Stamp from the Beginning, the title of that book, comes from Jefferson Davis' speech on the floor of the U.S. Senate on April 12th in 1860 on the, the dawn of, of the Civil War. He was objecting to a bill to fund black education in Washington, D.C., and uh, he said this, this government was not founded by Negroes or for Negroes, but by white men for white men. This bill was based on the false notion of racial equality, he declared, and the inequality of the white and the black races was stamped from the beginning. And what I want to share from you is that deeply woven into the narrative of our nation is this high shining ideal about the equality and freedom of all people, and on the other hand, the contradiction that all are created equal if your skin is light. And this widening gap between those of, of, of white skin and dark skin, this, this gap is encouraged by an intellectual history that the presidents of Harvard and of Yale, there is really not an intellectual figure in the United States that you can, that you can track. There are some, but there are very, very few that you can track that were not impacted by, by racist ideas. And, and we've picked and choose between what we've upheld as, as a nation. Go to the Jefferson Memorial, and, and you'll read this from Thomas Jefferson. I don't mean to be picking on the man, but he's just an example. He said, nothing is more uh, certainly written in the book of fate than that these, the Negro people, are to be free. You know, um, born in the 1970s, I'd have said, right on! You know, that's awesome! But... Would you like to finish the quote that didn't make it into stone? This is the rest of his sentence. So this is what we have up there, and this is, what we're, this is how we're interpreting, okay, freedom is inevitable. But here's, here's what he went on to say. The second half of that same sentence, nor is it less certain that the two races, equally free, cannot live in the same government. Nature and habit and opinion has drawn indelible lines of distinct distinction between them. Oh my gosh. You and I may say, well, I'm not racist. Great, I'm not trying to be offensive or anything else. I'm just trying to ask you to consider whether by breathing the secondhand smoke that has been written in six centuries and beyond of intellectual history that is woven so deeply into the narrative that, that in, in a thousand different ways we think that light is good and dark is bad in terms of, of skin. How is it possible and again, I'm going to offend some of you. 
you know, how is it possible that young black males were 20 times more likely than their white counterparts to be killed by police? How's that possible? Well, something's going on. And one response is to say, well, there's something wrong with them. Mm. Is it possible that there is a brokenness that's deeper in our nation than we've yet to face? When somebody says Black Lives Matter, do you immediately go to the worst of a movement, uh, the most violent of a movement, and, and say, um, oh, that's what represents all, or do you, do you understand that black lives have not always mattered? We had six officers shot this last weekend. Do, do blue lives matter? You better believe they do. But can you hear the pain behind? To say, again, Black Lives Matter, um, we've, and again, I'm just jumping into everything, so, you know, uh, we had a statue removed last Friday from this, the State House. Y'all know that, right? Um, and um, it's, it's U.S. Chief Just Justice Richard Tawney. Uh, this statue's been in place since 1872. It's a long time. And uh, he's the Chief Justice, and gosh, that's, that's awesome. But he authored the 1857 Dred Scott decision that defended slavery. Taney wrote that black Americans could not be citizens and had no rights which a white man was bound to respect. This is the heir of the birth of our nation. It's the heir that a civil war did not solve. Jim Crow came in after the Civil War. Jim Crow lived and thrived um, until Civil Rights Acts of 64 and 65. Did that solve everything? No. 64, 65, we have a whole nother uh, movement um, towards the true equality and, and erasure of, of, of racial distinction. But I'm just saying our nation and and our world is more deeply broken than we realize, and these ideas have woken the, woven their way into our conscious and subconscious and into our systems and structures. The median wealth of white households is 13 times that of black households. How's that possible? Well, some would say, well, there's something wrong with black people. Others would say, we have a long history of inequity and discrimination, conscious and unconscious, that, uh, that hasn't made a level deck. The United States has 5% of the world's population and 21% of the world's prisoners. Uh, blacks are incarcerated at the rate of over five times of whites. Maryland, Maryland's prison population, we're a state that's approximately 29 to 30% um, uh, black. 72% uh, of Maryland's prison population is black. Some of you say, well, that's because something wrong with blacks, no. Is it possible that there's something deeper going on here? That there's something uh, that is, that is uh, the secondhand smoke maybe that, that, you know, we don't even realize we're breathing. Guys, in the name of Jesus, I wanna call each one of us to love thinking like Jesus. And the way that we can do that is this. Romans 12, 1 uh, and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Challenge you to be stunned by the grace of God. 
The grace of, of how loved you are and how much God values the worth of all of his children because when you've been stunned by grace, you live and give grace. In Matthew 18, there's the parable of the, the man, you remember he owed the king a million bucks and, and the king said, I'm calling accounts due and he called him in and said, you're going to be thrown into prison and I'm gonna sell off your family. The man begged for mercy. The king gave him mercy, expecting that mercy would transform all of his living, but it didn't. And he went out and found one who owed him $100 and had his hands around his throat when the servant saw that and brought him back to the king. In the same way, if you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, if you have been uh, stunned by the grace of your own worth and and stunned by the, the glory of God and his love, then you live differently. You begin to think and value people differently. So, so in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Reject living your way in the world. Your life is Christ. Paul said in Philippians 1, uh, 21, to live is, is uh, Christ, to, 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 to die is gain. I mean, this, this is my life, it's Jesus. Not my culture, not my world, not my, my, my skin or anything else, it's Jesus. Take the initiative of faith, offer your life to God to redeem the world. I, I beg you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And when we do this, we begin to live with the mind of Christ and love with the mind of Christ. And we love thinking from the mind of Christ. We, we see life as, as Christ would have us. We see it not only as Christ would have us, we see through his eyes and hear through his ears. And we love and, and God works through us to redeem what is more deeply broken than most of us realized. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Guys, I want to suggest to you that there are patterns in this world that are more deeply ingrained in us than most of us have owned. And they are guiding our interactions and and they are determining our roles and they are setting up our conflicts. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we say no. We offer our lives as living sacrifices to Jesus Christ. Our lives are not our own. And we give our lives away to answer the brokenness. Not to blame, not to defend, not to to be a part of, of nationalism. I want to tell you nationalism is idolatry. Do I believe there's ever been a greater nation in the United States? No. Um, but there is no God and country. There is only God. All right, here's a newsflash. The United States of America isn't always going to exist. That's a frightening thought to me. But there's never been a history, there's never been a a country in the world that that existed forever. They all fall. And so our worship is in the Lord our God. And our call is to be salt and light in our world. And our call is to be a part of what, what makes America truly, dare I say it, So be boldly different. Don't buy into or sell out to what's broken in the culture. Don't don't do group think. Don't do culture think. Stop and think from the mind of Christ. Be eternally different. Let the Holy Spirit clear the air between your ears by the power of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, um, 
peace, love, joy that, that, is, that is what Jesus modeled, you know, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all of the fruit of the Spirit. Let that clear the fog between our ears and let us live thinking from the mind of Christ and being salt and being light in this world because God made us in his image to his glory. You know, one of us chose the, the, the bodies that we're living in. I can promise you I did not. You know, I'm grateful for this. I really am. I'm grateful for this. But I'd have chose something a little more, I don't know. Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't know. <laughs> so do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't buy the lie that the world can't change. That sort of passive helplessness is an affront to the blood of Jesus Christ. It is this namby-pamby, wimpy lie that says that evil is stronger than good. I'm just telling you to walk up to one of the people with an AR-15 protesting and, and, a, and a 9 millimeter on the side to walk up with the word of God puts you in a more powerful position than a .223 bullet. This is the word of God. It tells the story of a Savior who redeems. He has overcome the world and we live confidently believing that because he said to. And so in the name of Jesus, I want to call each one of us to, to live with a new mind, to be renewed by the transforming of your own mind. I'm going to ask you to submit your thinking to the Lord God and, and to, to, to just offer your life as a living sacrifice. And for us as a church, to get ever more engaged in a broken world, being salt, being light, being Jesus, making a difference and showing what a community of heaven is going to look like. Amen? Guys, I'm telling you what's going to make a difference in America, and, and again, this is not a political statement. It's not, well, I guess it is. I don't, I don't know whether it is or not. I don't care. Um, it, it's not what is done primarily in the state house or the white house. It's what is done in this house. This is what will make the difference. So I'm going to ask us to surrender in a new way to a new level. You may be saying, Pastor, I think I'm doing stuff. You're not at the end of it. There's more. There's more. There's more of Jesus. But I'm going to ask us to surrender everything from conscious racism to unconscious racism. I'm going to ask us to surrender our isolationism, our, our grouping according to race. I'm going to ask us to surrender our all. That Jesus might be free in us to redeem the world. Will you stand and will you surrender? If you enjoyed today's message, feel free to share it with your friends. And as we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big.